Hello, fellow fishermen. The ASGA team is hitting the road. That's right. We are kicking off the first ASGA road show. The tour is going to feature a series of stops that include private showings of amazing striped bass and conservation films, discussions that foster learning and community unification, good drinks, and incredible raffles from the best conservation-minded businesses in the industry. We hope you're ready for a good time in Portland, Maine. That's where the first stop's going to be Wednesday, February 2nd at 6.30 p.m. To RSVP, head to the link in any of our social bios or type in linktree slash ASGA. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash ASGA. Again, that's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash A-S-G-A. Type that into your mobile browser. You'll find that link in our description of the podcast as well. We'll keep you in the loop on social media as well as audio updates in the upcoming weeks as each of our tour stops approaches. Rest assured, all local businesses and health regulations are followed at each event. We're looking forward to seeing you out on the road. Tight lines, and we'll see you soon. This podcast is presented by Costa Sunglasses. So, Ben, it is my understanding that you just traveled all day with your little girl struggling to get to Disney for her first princess experience. All of us are waiting with bated breath to see you with a tiara or a wand in hand. Uh, did, is every, did everyone land safe? Okay. Everything good down there? Indeed. Indeed. My computer that I brought uh, didn't fare so well, but uh, but we all arrived down here and everybody's happy. So um, so I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, I appreciate uh, the chance to join. Well, we, we thank you. We thank you for being here as well. And uh, and and Peter, you ready? You ready to talk about some stripers and main issues today and what you all are seeing? Always ready always Tony. it's been it's been pretty calm up there right nothing big going on it's been like you know same day different i'm just kidding that's just that's just a joke we'll dive into this willie i'm going to give you an opportunity because out of your six questions that you emailed us this morning i promised that you would at least be able to say one of them so i'm going to give you first crack before this goes sideways into the guardrail I appreciate that. Um, I usually have the role of being your handler, so it's it, it feels weird to be on this side and being afforded the opportunity, but thank you very much, Tony. Um, <laughs> gentlemen, welcome. Let's hear about you. I think, actually, Peter, you are also a main transplant, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, guys, curious to hear a bit about kind of where you grew up fishing, you know, what you're doing now in Maine and kind of what your focus is when it comes to stripers up there. Um, maybe most importantly, what's your favorite way to catch stripers? So Peter, let's start with you and then we'll, we'll kick it over to Ben. Cause I think we know his answer, at least to that last question. All right. Yeah. So in the interest of full disclosure, I am a mass hole like you, Willie, I grew up, uh, on the South shore and situate and fished, um, Boston Harbor, Cape Cod, south of the Cape as a kid. And I, I still remember the day 
that I first got on the water up here and went fishing with some friends. And I was just blown away. Uh, it, it is gorgeous. And it's, it's, um, it's different than what I grew up with. And what really attracted me is that it, it's like ideal fly water because there's every kind of water. Um, flats, sandy beaches, a uh, lot of current, surf, muscle bars. Um, I, I fish a really big river, kind of the estuary where the river meets the sea. And it, it's just, it's amazing. And there aren't that many people. And that's, that's a really attractive part of it. Um, and uh, share with them the play either right yeah exactly um the passion i can't can't swing a dead cat around here without hitting somebody man like i've laid in the bottom of my boat so my boat just like it looked like it was a drift when i've seen people like come by and see me fishing a certain area or something i don't even fish on the weekends anymore it's so horrible so if you don't have a lot of people man that's one of the few times i've ever heard that in my life peter we're really blessed it's when you compare it to a lot of other places where I fish in the course of the year, it's, it's pretty amazing. And, and my passion is, is sight casting. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I kind of live by the motto of see the fish, cast to the fish, catch the fish. That's, that's what I'm after. Right on. Well, uh, we're looking forward to, to hearing about all that you've got going on up there, Peter, because as Tony alluded to, there is a lot to cover. But Ben, let's kick it over to you, bud. Let's hear a bit, you know, a little bit about your story. I know as as you confessed early on, uh, you are also not a native Mainer, but have obviously found a found a home up there. Tell us about kind of where you grew up fishing and, and what you're up to Maine. Yeah, sure. Uh so growing up I I, I grew up between South Florida and Brazil. Um which really kind of gave me some awesome, um, diverse opportunities for fishing, um, and kind of sparked my curiosity as far as fly tying, um, which I'm, I'm pretty addicted to these days for most of the people who, who follow me. Um, but it, it, it provided a different outlook, um, on our fisheries. And then in 2003, I moved to Maine, um, and ended up staying and discovered stripers soon, soon after arriving and went to UMaine and finally moved south. And, and my passion has just grown and grown and grown ever since. Um, so I, I love Maine. The winters are a little harsh for me, but fly time gets me through. So, um, but I, I too, similar to Peter, I think because of my background growing up down south, uh, doing flats fishing, sight fishing, you know, the, the cat and mouse game is, is really, really, really what I, I prefer. But I've also spent a ton of time dialing in ledge fishing up in Maine, which is pretty unique to Maine uh, with big, big flies. So um you know if i'm tying them it's because i've tested them 
And, you know, Ben, I, I think as, you know, you guys, you may gang up on me, although with the exception of Tony, you're, you're both pretty nice. You know, you guys are all pretty nice. Um, I think it's, it's pretty well known at this point. I am not a, uh, a full-on fly guy like so many of our folks, you know, and that's, that's kind of what they do. But even I, seeing some of the stuff that you whip up, um, I'm pretty damn impressed. That's some pretty, some pretty wild and crazy stuff. And I think Tony can probably speak a lot more to the, you know, it's not just that those flies you tie look good. They really catch fish. It's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, you know, I think in large part, the function comes from um, a lot of time spent with, with plug surf guys, you know, testing their plugs out and seeing how can I transfer that to a lure, you know, or to a fly. Hey, man, uh, let, me, let me tell you something. Trial and error. If you want to get, if you want to get cutting edge, I just squeaked my chair. Cody's probably going to kill me. Our, our podcast editor. I got to remember, I can't move while we're doing this. I apologize for the square chair squeaks ahead of time. Um, you want to get cutting edge, you know, go to the, go, go to the bass guys the largemouth bass guys, not the, not the striped bass guys, yep. man, those dudes, they'll have 14 rods in the bow of that little, that little glitter boat. And, uh, you know, everyone for a different thing and you watch what they're doing and how dialed in they are to those fish. And then you start thinking about like, Hmm, you know, what can I do? I, I mean, I, I guarantee you when Blaine chocolate was developing the game changer, which I, I bring that up because, to me, that's kind of, you know, it's the, that, the, those articulated flies, I mean, it, they spawned a whole new kind of renaissance and creativity and fly tying, you know, we were kind of in a, in a flat space for a while. Um, but man, I, I guarantee you part of that came from his knowledge of conventional fishing and how do I get my fly to do that? And, you know, looking, looking at, uh, looking at a lot of your flies, yeah, oh, yeah, they're pretty like whoop de doo, but they catch fish. And and I can see you took a lot of inspiration from Popovics and those guys who were you know dear friends of mine. Um, you know who 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 inspired you, Ben? Because you definitely have a style all your own, and that water is so clear where you fish. It's got to be damn near perfect. I yeah. mean, it's got to it's got to look like it, right? It's not I mean, like you can't shoot man i could hide a body in the chesapeake bay where i live no problem uh you see about a foot on a good day and it's it's kind of greenish brown yeah. and funky but i mean y'all it's like a bathtub right so who do you take your inspiration from because it's definitely it's definitely got your own flavor um so so i i do have to give a ton of credit to to bob um popovics He's been a phenomenal mentor and, um, I, I hope I can do his patterns justice. Um, and, and, you know, I think you'll hear me say, I, I'm not a huge fan of social media when it comes to, I don't know, the, the Insta fame, famous people. But one, one thing I just love is being able to see people's flies worldwide that normally, you'd never have that chance to. So you can get inspiration on a daily basis from people worldwide doing time for whatever species. Um, so I try to pull that in and then lure guys too. Like, um, but, but Blaine, Blaine, his stuff is phenomenal. 
and Bob Popovic is definitely continues to be my my probably number one uh, mentor and and you know his book Fly Design I return to on a weekly basis you know to study it and to to you know there's so much information I have pop flies within like where I'm sitting doing this video if I stretch my fat butt but I don't want my chair to squeak. If I stretched it another six inches, I could grab my copy of Pop Flies, right? His book, his yeah. book before the one that you're talking about. Yep. I mean, you know, there's just like, um, there's just, these guys are generational talents, you know? And I'll tell you one of the, one of the most awesome things, Willie, you're not, not a fly fisherman, hush. Okay. So listen, <laughs> one of the, one of the most awesome things about everyone that you mentioned is they'll teach you. They don't hide yeah. stuff. They're they share information. They I mean they're so open and they want to teach the next generation. And anyway, that's all I wanted to say. It's 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 incredible. Well, you know. Yeah, Bob Popovic's number one saying to me is teach him well. Teach him well. And you know, it's it's it I can attest that you do an incredible job of that. Uh, having spent time time with you when you were teaching uh, classes and uh, will also say uh, having fished a bunch of your flies, uh, not only do they catch fish, but they hold up. And then the other thing that's a really big deal for me is they're castable. And I get to fish with a lot of great fly anglers, but... I fish with a lot more people who are on the road to becoming good fly anglers. And, th and that's Man, part you, of our You're just, you're just too nice, Peter. Too long up there, buddy. No, no. But uh, it's really incredible stuff. Uh, and, uh, and, and your way with bucktail is a gift. I know it comes from a lot of hard work, but it's also a gift. I appreciate it. But, you know, I, I also, oh, you know, I, I can only test so much, you know, our season's so short. I can, you know, I, I generally tie up new patterns, try them to the next day and continue doing that throughout the season, but there's only so much. So I really lean on, on a lot of, you know, key, key players that, you know, both in down in Florida, uh, Cody Rubner has been, helping me out test stuff out down there um and just you know trying stuff out and getting getting people's feedback on the, ben, the things you, that suck about into, it have you run into jason taylor i i have yet to meet him in person but you know him and i have gone back and forth for a while and and i just love he's another one i i draw a lot of inspiration from andrew andrew warshire was another one yeah. Right. Um, you know, Jason, Jason's our, uh, Pennsylvania board member, incredible guy. Um, you know, I'd love to see y'all sitting down at a vice together and just, just yucking it up and, and, I'd and love it and stuff because yeah. Jason has a gift like, like Peter, you know, you, you can practice all you want, but the truth is you got to kind of have a gift, right? You got, it's got to click. It's not all just practice right you, it, it, you're putting you're putting together what's going on on the water what you need 
very like computer brain, you know, and how, how do I solve these problems? Um, man, I'd love, I'd love to see that because Jason has a gift too. You know, I mean, you just, you look at his stuff and it's just a step above um, what most other people are capable of doing. And I, I'd put you in that same category. But we, I think Willie, I see the veins popping out in his head. Talking about fly fishing too. But I was, what I was going to say was, you know, we have these conversations all the time. And Ben, it's cool to hear that you, you know, spoke with plug guys, you know, and thinking about how to develop your flies. I mean, you know, the gear you're using might be different, but the presentations and kind of the kind, you know, the, the moods of the fish and what they're eating and all that stuff. I mean, you know, fishing is fishing, right? You hear that all the time. And it's, it's just cool to hear, you know, the, the thought process you know, translate across different gear types and, and different approaches. That's really neat to hear kind of that, that evolution of thinking in your design. Yeah. This year I've been uh, fixated on gravity tackle eels. So uh, came up with some pretty, pretty awesome uh, nighttime eel flies that, that produced well. Um, but yeah, I get fixated, you know, the dock lure, uh, that's been another one I I've gone through probably 20 iterations and everyone works well, but I want it to be perfect. Walk just, dog kind you of know, thing. Yeah. perform very similarly. I don't, I don't want, I don't want a fly that is used at the end of a teaser. I want a fly that you can cast to, to perform like the dock fly, right? It's, it's, Man, that's that's it's, as bad as seeing your kid on an episode of Cops. Like when you tie a fly and somebody puts it on a teaser. That's what I told. So we were fishing a tournament like twenty years ago, and uh, and this this guy walks up to me. He's like, "Oh, your flies are great, man. I'd love to have them as teasers." I said, "Jesus, I think I'd rather see my kid watching TV on an episode of Cops." I could get out of here, man. Yeah, teaser. You know, it's God. Like, could you insult me? Like, Jesus. Um, so so yeah i know i i feel you man so all right we got two striper guys from maine everyone's worried about stripers everybody right uh, well <laughs> i hate them with paint with too broad of a brush i guess some folks think they're doing just fine but a lot of people are concerned about stripers what are y'all seeing up in maine as the northernmost range for our coastal stock um why don't you let the viewers know you know, anecdotally, what y'all are seeing, you know, when you go out fishing and the, and the difference between now and let's say like five, 10 years ago. That's a really good question. And, uh, and I go back to um, the last podcast that you guys released and your conversation with Benny Blanco about um, shifting baselines and that what we're fighting for is not just to maintain what we have now. Um, but to get back to what we did have and the reality for us in Maine is that we've had pretty good fishing these last couple of years. Um, numbers of fish uh, are, they're, they're definitely available and people are catching, if you know your Maine geography, people are catching fish uh, in the Penobscot river. Whatever uh, you do, whatever you do, Peter, do not say down East or Tony's head will explode. Just for one of you. <laughs> but uh, it, it's not. Wait a second. Wait a second. Let's tell. I, I need. I know I am not the only person who does not understand, you know, 
what the hell down east means because I, you know, I'm familiar with maps and and geography and things like that. And I don't, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, man. That's kind of like saying, I don't know, up west. Like, it's a Mainer thing. It's because everything's, I'm going to go down to Portland. <laughs> Tony, this will make sense to you. It's because you would sail downwind to get there. Prevailing okay. summer wind to Thank southwest, you. so you're Thank sailing you. downwind to get there. My, you know what? Me and everybody else listening to this that was like, what? You just, I feel like I just watched a life hack video on TikTok. What did you say, Peter? The fly fishers on their journey? Is that what you said? Whatever that euphemism was, that, that's a similar, similar tactic, so I appreciate it. I, I don't feel even a little know upset. What Will, Cody, edit that out. I didn't even know what Willie said. <laughs> it didn't make any sense. So, what were you, Ben? What were you? <laughs> I was, ben, I, was you just, I was just going to say I'm kind of disappointed because now I now I have a reason for it, and I can't just rag on Mainers for talking that way. For once, this was me who took things off the rails. I severely apologize, Peter. You were talking about availability, talking about main geography. I think you said Penobscot, and then I then I, I went from there. Please. Yeah, so, um, you know, to go back to uh, Tony's original question, compared to 10 years ago, our, our fishery here in Maine is actually in better shape. Uh, recreational landings are up significantly. Um, and some of that is maybe related to effort, more people fishing. But we saw a real dip uh, after the boom years of like 2004 to 2007. And we were the ones here in Maine who were jumping up and down even before guys, say, around Cape Cod were starting to, to moan um, and say, Hey, there's something wrong here. We're not seeing the fish that uh, we had, and 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 bait is uh, shortage of bait is not an issue in Maine. We we are blessed with incredible runs of river herring. Um, well, Atlantic herring are down. We've still got a lot of juvenile Atlantic herring that come into the river mouths to overwinter and, and grow in that first year of life and spend the summer here. Um, and uh, menhaden uh, or pogies, as we call them, um, along with a whole lot of green crabs and a, and a ton of other stuff. Um, so we've got pretty good numbers, but we what we don't have is the age structure that we should. And, and that's true right through everywhere other than the hot spots of kind of Block Island and, and Boston Harbor. Um, but compared to when the fishing was best in Maine, this was truly a destination fishery, especially for fly anglers uh, coming to catch big bass. Uh, on a fly and uh, far southern Maine. Uh, what most of us, Peter, I can. I, I, I back when we used to have fly fishing magazines, um, you know, way back when, I can remember reading articles, you know, 20 years ago and being like, man, I want to get up there. And, and I mean, it was 40 pound fish after 40 pound fish. And I, you know, it, it made me want to go reading those articles. 
So, so, so I'm coming at this from a little different perspective, just because I haven't lived through, I think, the extent that that you have, Peter, um, on the fishery up here. I, I was here when it was good, um, and we we do have those good Menhaden. We we have those good herring runs and. Um, I, I used to pick on people for these big flies that I tie, like up until five years ago, I would, I'm like, you can't use those anywhere North of Jersey. Like they're, they're ridiculous. And then we started seeing the pogies start trickling back in, um, at least, at least in Casco Bay, um, you know, a pod here or there initially, and then they'd get scooped up. And it, it really isn't until the last, I don't know, three, four years that the population has really rebounded um, considerably, which which has pulled a lot of fish off of the flats, the bigger fish off the flats, I've noticed, um, except for this this past year. a lot There were a lot of big fish, but I don't know, looking back over the fi- last five years, it really did pull the Menhaden coming back made a huge difference for everybody that were shore anglers fishing, you know, the flats or, or even ledges. Um, are you mainly, uh, are you mainly fishing for shore, bud, or are you also on a boat a fair amount? Just kind of, you know, so I think we often think about like catchability, right. And if, a, if a population healthy, then more people using more techniques in more places are more apt to catch fish. Just curious, you know, what you're typically doing. That could that could very well be uh, the distinction between what Peter's saying and what I'm saying. I I've been almost strictly shore based up until I don't know. I I've had boats off and on, um, but I've I've really focused and dialed and and guided on foot off the ledges on the flats. I don't know. It's it's like hobbling yourself to the fullest and hoping to get lucky you know i you really can't go you can't torture yourself any more than than doing it you know <laughs> it's it's painful but super rewarding when it pays off so um anyways not a huge difference but I, just something i've noticed down you know casco Saco bay areas um, the trends that we've been seeing down there, at least. Just to be clear for listeners, about how far apart are you guys typically? Because Peter, you're up in the Kennebec mainly, right? Is that where you're mainly fishing, or? Right. Yeah, I live right on the Kennebec, so I, I fish uh, the Kennebec. I do fish uh, Eastern Casco Bay, some the peninsula. I live in live on is like one of those fingers that sticks down. So it's three miles to the launch ramp uh over into eastern casco bay uh but we're you know drive time like half hour to 45 minutes from each other so so we're pretty close now most of my most of my shore and kind of dialed areas was greater Saco Bay, Saco Bay South, right? Which now you're talking hour and a half. I I know where I live right now to get down there, it is a hike to get down there hour before sunup. I have to get up, you know, in the 
one thirty-two thirty time frame. Because yeah, that's right. So you got those early, early mornings. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. South of Portland, uh, we we they're more big fish, uh, and that's the that's been the reality, and has been especially true the last couple of years, at least. Uh, and there's also really good shore access, but better shore access from Portland South than there is from uh, Portland North or East, Tony. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I've been focusing the last uh, three, four years on flats fishing. And so Peter and I aren't aren't super far away as a crow flies. Um, so I, I've been doing quite a bit of fishing up there. And this last year was kind of interesting in that there was a ton of big fish up that way, but it was because all the bait seemed to stay in the river up there. You could walk across one of the rivers, I won't mention, but we didn't see any of like the pogies stick around further south. So it was just interesting, at least my my take on this past season was a little, a little different than normal. Now, Peter, I've got, I want to talk about management a little bit in a little while and kind of hear, you know, what you guys are thinking and, and how you're getting involved. But, you know, you are, as you said, you're a reformed mass hole, right? You, you, you made it across the border. You're up in the, in the promised land of, of Maine. I got to know when I am on 95 and I cross the board, I crossed the, I crossed the Piscataqua, I get into Kittery. I feel like my blood pressure just kind of drops. I feel like everything is just a little bit calmer up there, even though geographically it isn't that different. I'm wondering, coming from Massachusetts and being part of like that fishing community, that striper community, and then being up in Maine now and, you know, obviously fishing up and down the coast, but spending a lot of your time up there. How does it compare kind of what's what's the community like up there? And Ben, I'm curious to hear your uh, your perspective as well. I'm going to just, I just found something out about Willie. And next time he goes up there, I'm going to stand right under that sign. <laughs> it says, well, welcome to Piscawata, whatever he said. <laughs> Two middle fingers. And we'll see, we'll see. And it's going to, I'm going to have a whole be holding sign that says get to work. So we'll see, we'll see. We'll see if he has that, that, that same uh, emotional response next time he drives through there. But please continue. Yeah, so I know the sign you're talking about, and I know the blood pressure drop you're talking about, Willie. And actually, that was when um, now Senator Angus King was governor, that that term really became uh, big and became like the official slogan of the state, Maine, the way life should be. And and that's just the way it felt to me when I got here. I, I came up here to finish high school. Um went to the University of Maine and have just chosen to stay. And and I live where I live right now because this is, this is where I want to fish. And I, I, I got a quick story for you. Um, this was years ago. I, I get to the launch ramp, you know, it's like three 30 in the morning, something like that in June. And I had a wheel bearing go on my trailer and, um, but I got to get the boat in the water because I got clients coming to meet me. Right. I talked them into going at like four in the morning. So I, uh, I launched the boat. I tie it up at the ramp there out of the way. There's nobody else there. That's one of the nice things that we have too. And I drive the trailer back up to Jimma's. 
So Jim Atotman owns the Pine Tree Service Station, which is like a mile from the ramp that I use a lot. And I just tuck it uh, off to the side there in, in the, uh, the dooryard of his, his shop. So I do my trip and uh, I come back in, go through the same thing, tie up the boat, hop in the truck, run back up there to check in with them. And I, I was hatching a plan to leave my boat at my neighbor's or borrow a trailer. I get there and the trailer's fixed. I hadn't left a note. I didn't call and leave a message or anything like that. This is like at noontime. And Jim's response was, well, we didn't know whose it was, but it was pretty obvious what was wrong with it. And we figured someone was coming back for it. So they just fixed it. And I think it cost me like 25 bucks and I grabbed the trailer and, uh, and away I went. And, uh, it it's um it translates to the community on the water you know that that feeling that you have um it was i found i i started guiding here in 2004 it it was a really welcoming group of guides um the exact opposite of what you hear in a lot of other places uh people help each other out and um I, I think in Maine, we've got a really diverse uh, group of people who love to fish for stripers. And one of the things that's that's always interested me about Maine is that uh, fly fishing here is not an elitist activity. Not everybody goes to the high-end store to buy the high-end rod. You could be standing in the middle of the West Branch uh, fishing for landlocked salmon and the person on your left, uh, works in the woods and the, and the person on your right is a drywaller somewhere. Um, it, th there's a long history of. What does works in the woods mean? Is that a logger kind of a sketchy? Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I would have said works at the mill, uh, but, but that paper mill has since closed along with, uh, half the others in the state. So there's this really cool, like, I think Maine, like how many other states do people troll flies, you know, and th that's an accepted like, right. storied practice here. And so you've got this tradition coupled with a lot of really passionate young anglers and guides who are getting involved in um, making this a better sport and um, uh, getting involved in advocating for better management. It's, it's really cool. It's awesome. Yeah. And that definitely checks out with kind of with, with my experience too, just meeting a handful of people, everybody's just kind of a little bit calmer, you know, and it's a, it's a, just a different, a different feel. Uh, ben, does that, does that kind of, you know, does that resonate with you with what Peter was getting at there? The thing about Peter is he uh, he's probably the best advocate for the cause for for conveying this to the ordinary people. So generally, if I go after him, it's very hard to add anything to it. Um, I I tend to just take it and spread it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, great response and. Uh, we do have a very welcoming, warm uh, community up here. Tony, you ever fished in Maine? Yeah, um, yes. In my in my younger years, I found it to be 
incredibly beautiful. Um, I was I was able to catch some brook trout on uh, on in some of the streams up there. I never did any landlocked salmon, and headed down um, headed down to the beach and caught a couple of stripers and was amazed at how strong the tides were and how pretty the water was. Uh, if I recall correctly, I don't remember what town I was in, but there was like a little bridge going over a small river that was running through the town. And I, I saw like a 30 inch striper just laying there like a trout in, in a seam and uh, threw it out, twitched the fly twice above his head. He came up, smacked it. Um, it's different though. It's, it's wild. Cause you know, in the Chesapeake Bay our shoot man where i live our tides are a foot foot and a half two feet depending on the moon phase and everything and um and you know when you gotta when you gotta fight those fish in that cold water that that's moving running so hard boy that's a different that's a different decision matrix when you're picking what what weight rod and and what pound leader because let me tell you something a lot different catching a 30 inch fish up there than it is by me most of the time uh, they pull. I mean, they pull. So, yeah, I had, no, yeah, I had nothing bad to say about Maine. I just, I would die um, after like the middle of October. I would, I would literally lose my. They'd write like, I'd be like that lady who hobbled that dude in the, uh, in whatever that movie was, Kathy Bates. Like, I, I would literally, I don't know what I would do uh, if it was that cold for that long. Um, I, I'm going a little batty right now, sitting here uh you know waiting for the next snowstorm to come here we get bad winters about once every 10 years and let me tell you this is it um this is horrible horrible you're gonna make it buddy you're you're gonna make it stop now i took a good digger before uh heading yeah i was asking i was asking ben if he had hit the hard water yet you know ice fishing and he said he had but it's because he uh you know he he lost his footing in his driveway and (laughs) fell down on the ice so you know i didn't mean it literally but i guess that does happen this time of year so hope you're hope you're doing okay there bud hopefully the the warm uh the warm florida air is helping um <laughs> it heals everything. Exactly. It really does. So listen, Ben, I I, I heard you. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you on this one. Um just so you don't have to follow Peter. Um plus I think we've probably heard a little bit a little bit of this from Peter anyway. But you know, as you guys know, we've got a lot going on with striper management. We've got this big ASMFC stripe bass meeting uh next Wednesday, the 26th. And um you guys are both in your own ways, pretty engaged in management, you know, pretty involved in, in keeping track of what's going on and, and getting folks, you know, activated and engaged and commenting and, you know, wondering, Ben, what really, uh, what, what got you into this? You know, is, were you always, you know, were you involved in kind of following management before Stripers? Is this kind of a, a new thing for you or just wondering, you know, what, what kind of motivated you to get involved in the, in the conservation discussion? You know, that's a great question. Um, I think I think the largest thing has been the addition of my daughter. I, I have a three and a half year old and that was, you know, I, taking her fishing at, and having her catch, you know, four salters at two on a fly all by herself and, you know, bringing her out on the water with me just really kind of brought it home how these stripers may not be around by the time she's she's my age 
and that's that's disturbing you know and and especially when there's something we can do about it right um to to prevent going back there uh so that's that's been my so so it is somewhat new um and peter peter has been a, a good mentor in that sense and in being able to talk through and hear uh his his thoughts on this over the last several years so that's kind of where i'm coming at it from so that's really cool ben to hear and i know that that resonates definitely a lot with tony i think you know he often talks about his son and and you know how that's a big motivator for him too and you know, I'm wondering, obviously, you you tie these incredible flies, you have a lot to do with a lot of people kind of how does that engagement, you know, how, to, how do folks feel about that? You know, like, are, are people pretty interested, you know, in the fact that you're tying these flies and also involved in the conservation discussion? Or, you know, just wondering what kind of the what kind of the response has been from a lot of the folks who you, you deal with? The people that I deal with, um, on a daily basis, as well as people I take out on the water, you know, I, I, I think, People that that enjoy the type of product I put out um, are are really open to it. So I really don't, you know, get a lot of opposition. I think more than anything, it's it's getting people to overcome that activation energy to do something. I've noticed. So it's all fine and dandy to talk about it and really not have someone like fight back a lot or, or, you know, not fight back, but disagree or have a good discussion around it. But, you know, to, to get someone to follow through on it is, is a little harder. Um, which is why the ASGA I think is such a, a great addition to, to all of the efforts going on. Right on. Well, well, we appreciate that. I know, I know Tony definitely appreciates that because the, uh, the activation and getting folks across that threshold is certainly what he's devoted a good many years to doing. Yeah, Ben, you know, it's funny. Um, when you look at like Benny Blanco, um, Brandon Sear, you look at, uh, man, I mean, some of the guests that we've had, um, a lot of guides in Florida, a lot of guides up by us to an individual, anyone who has children, when Willie asks them that question, they say, well, I, I really, I really got serious about it. You know, when I took my kid fishing and they caught a fish for the first time to a, to an individual, that is the first thing that they say. And it says a lot, you know, um, I think it says a lot about all of us as people because I mean, I think I end up saying this every podcast. If you love something, you should fight for it. And I do not understand. I do not understand some individuals these days that, you know, want to put everything up like an Insta hero. You know, you mentioned that before, but they won't lift a finger to preserve the resource. And that's why I have so much respect for all of our guests um, because, you know, they have courage. Um, cause, cause <laughs> if you take a position on anything, somebody's not going to like you, you know, when, when we're, when we're dealing with regulations on fish, you ain't ever going to make everyone happy. You know, when we say, no, we don't like the slot limit. We want that one at 35. We probably upset a lot of people, but at, at the time with the information we had, we thought that was what was best for the stock. Um, 
So, you know, taking a stand, it, it comes with a, it comes with a luxury tax, you know? Um, so, you know, kudos, kudos to, to you loving your kid enough to, to want to save something for her. Um, and man, there's a, there's a lot of people that have the same story, Ben. So just thought yeah. I'd throw that well, in. I, I, that's by far the biggest, I mean, selfishly, I'm, I'm obsessed with this fish and I, I, don't know what I'd do if, if I couldn't get up at, you know, one thirty two in the morning and chase these throughout the night uh, on end and put my life in jeopardy. Uh, so part of it's selfish too, but being able to share that with family, of course, kind of trumps it. Yeah, I think selfish is sometimes okay too. It, it, uh, it can be a real motivating factor and for me, part of it is selfish. Like my business depends on uh, striped bass. And one of the things that we don't have in Maine is much else to fish for inshore. Um, so we're, we are wholly dependent on striped bass as inshore guides. And, and I always say, so I, I was a sustainable agriculture major and now I'm basically uh, a farmer growing one crop or the equivalent of that, you know, I, like if all I grew was corn, uh, that's not the smartest decision in the world. Um, so it, it's a resource that, um, that we really, really need to advocate for. And, and one of the biggest barriers that I see in, in addition to that kind of inertia uh, to getting involved that, that Ben and, and Tony were just talking about is um, sort of the intimidation of the complexity of um, how fisheries management works, science talk. It's really daunting and, and it's difficult to follow if somebody doesn't have much background and they try and follow the discussion at say the striped bass board at ASMFC, uh, it's a real challenge. And so I've got time with anglers when they're with me, you know, it, it's a captive audience, right? We're on the boat together. We're talking about everything from how we're going to fish to sometimes some pretty deep conversations about family life experiences. But, um, People are used to taking direction from their guides. If you're an angler who's fished with uh, guides quite a bit, that's a big part of what you're looking for. And You know, you're a lucky guy, Peter, because I, I try to open up to Willie all the time, and I just all I get is rejected. <laughs> and so that, yeah, I try well, to share the these, these moments. Come on the boat. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. I'm booking. I am – you – you circle a day on no, the calendar. No, you take me fishing and I'll look you all you want. I promise. I need that. Come, 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 come soak a hunk of dead meat for blue catfish. Now I feel, now you can I feel dirty. Yeah. Now that Willie said that, I feel dirty about taking him fishing. Oh, my God. He just admitted it. Just use me for my boats. Use me for my boats. Soak That's a hunk fine, of dead meat Willie. for blue catfish. You're more than welcome. And you can, you can talk my ear off, buddy. I'll be too focused on watching the rods and rigging the baits. But, you know, I feel like we've got an, an obligation to, um, to help our anglers become more involved um, 
And, and, and a lot of that starts with understanding, uh, having them have a better idea of what's going on in the fishery, how the management process works, and then trying to give them easy entry into participating. Um, and it, you know, part of what I like is that, and, and I don't, I'm not saying this sort of from like a drumming up business standpoint, but it allows me a great way, a meaningful way to stay in touch with people that I may only fish with, you know, three days in August every year. And, and in March, I can be in touch with them, asking them, hey, would you be willing to submit a comment on this issue? Um, and it, it, it helps build that relationship. And, and really, you know, when people are looking for a guide, what they're looking for is a relationship that fits with them. So um, for me, it's, it's a really fulfilling part of my work. I, it, it just it's what I like to do. And, and to your credit, Peter, I mean, you, you know, you do an incredible job of translating the stuff, not just on the water, but when we're, you know, in to, to anglers and, you know, during the winter at meetings and things like that, uh, we know you're, you're president of the main association of charter boat captains. So in, in that kind of environment as well, and really trying to distill the super dense information into a way where people actually feel empowered to do something constructive about it instead of just kind of throwing their hands up in the air and, and, and playing it out. I think one big challenge that we always are dealing with is trying to get folks to pay attention before everything, you know, before the house is on fire, right? Before there's a real urgent situation that people need to confront. And that's a hump that we all struggle with, with overcoming and hopefully something we can, we can move the needle on in the coming years. Cause that's just our, it would, it would save us a lot of work. If, and, and a lot of uh, a lot of heartburn if we could have those conversations earlier instead of waiting until we're kind of confronting or confronting the edge of a cliff or, or, or some big disaster. Well, you're exactly right. And, you know, part of what ASGA and, and you guys really have done is fill a huge void in the recreational community for coordinated advocacy across state lines and distilling information in a way that people can process it, accept it, understand it, and then use it. Um, but at the same time, you've kept in uh, or taught people how to use some of the language, uh, how to communicate to fisheries managers and fisheries scientists so that the message is received. And, and you're much more effective when you can speak their language. You know, I mean, I think about uh, the stereotypical American in a foreign country trying to buy something, just yelling louder and louder at the shopkeeper in English, you know? And, um, and so, so uh, a big part of what you guys say. Wait, wait, you're not supposed to do that? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> right. Right. So a big part of what you guys are doing is um, engaging a lot more people, a lot more people. And, and that's key. And, and it's it's foolish when you look at the amount of time that we spend not just fishing, but 
messing with tackle in the winter or tying flies or researching the next boat that we're going to buy or whatever it is, if we put a fraction of that energy of that passion into better management of our resource, uh, we'd have much, we'd have a hell of a lot more fun. That's for sure. Cause our fishing would be that much better. Agreed. Were you listening to my last podcast? Because the one thing I said was approach this next striped bass stuff with the same enthusiasm that you approach a fishing trip with old friends or your favorite fishing partner or someplace you only go to once a year. And if people have just, this is one stinking meeting, just approached it with that same enthusiasm, I wouldn't be nearly as scared for stripers as I am right now if I had that guarantee. And that's a fact. That's a fact. I know it's boring. I know it's nerdy talk and the acronyms are impossible to understand. I know all of that. But don't don't you want to help stripers? Like, not everything's fun in this world. Matter of fact, not much is as far as I'm as far as my perspective. So, you know, knuckle up and get it done. Put your big boy pants on. Do it. Well, and I think going back to something that, that Ben said when he was talking about fishing from shore. Um, you know, it, it, it's the most challenging way to fish. Uh, and the other passion that he and I both share, sight casting to stripers, it can be really friggin' difficult. Like, uh, yeah, I was listening to the most recent podcast. And Tony, when you were talking about how easy it is to catch stripers and they eat everything and uh about that experience when um the crew was there in boston harbor and i'm thinking to myself yeah ben and i can tell you that that's not always the case uh for some reason we've decided that it's really fun and really cool to try and to try and chase them um when they're at their most difficult but it's more rewarding and yeah our fish are just i'm telling you peter just in comparison to like a tarpon or a permit or a bonefish here, the stripers are pretty dumb. Yeah, yeah. You know, they don't have, they're not afforded the ability of like a hundred foot visibility. And you know, it's, it's a different, it's a different game for sure. And I, I mean, I, I, if I could trade what I have now with the same length and season, and have the conditions that y'all have, except for more than three months out of the year, I would, there'd be a for sale sign yeah. in my front yard. I would do it in a heartbeat because that's the hunt is the most fun part of the fishing for me, for sure. And for most fly fishing. You know, and, and, and to me, I, I think we have to look at our individual involvement in advocacy the same way. Um, you know, the, the, if you find joy in uh, however it is that you fish, it, it, we all make it a little more difficult than it has to be. Like we're all not out there just running a gill net to to bring home striped bass, right? Um, the The more you put in, the more you get out of it. And I don't just mean from a business standpoint having more fish around to make more money guiding. I, I'm talking about the the personal fulfillment 
that comes, the more involved you are, the more rewarding your fishing is. So I talked earlier, and I think we all agreed that it's challenging to get involved because it's like you have to learn another language. And uh, the fisheries management process is complex. And uh, one way to break down some of those barriers is uh, to learn more. And And a great opportunity is coming up. Uh, here, I think it begins the first Tuesday in February. Uh, a buddy of yours, Willie, at Rutgers Cooperative Extension runs an online course that runs uh, one night a week, February, March, into very early April. And it's called I Fish, I F I S S H. And I participated maybe. Four, three or four winters ago, and it was awesome. Uh, and uh, and I actually just signed up to do it again. Um, I, I love running through stuff when I know a lot more. And uh, thankfully, uh, I've been able to participate in the MREP program through GMRI, Gulf of Maine Research Institute. So I'm much more comfortable with the with both the language and the process. But it's a great opportunity. If anyone wants to learn more, it, 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 it definitely has a somewhat of a New Jersey focus, but it's applicable no matter where you are. And I, and guys, just from my perspective, thank you for being both great leaders in the community. We're pretty far from Maine and, um, and having people that, you know, that we can work with and share ideas with, uh, up there and are so articulate and well-respected, um, you know, for whatever kudos you gave the guides association for, you know, doing stuff across state lines, we could get absolutely nothing done if we didn't have really smart people who believed in us like Peter and Ben. So I thank you. The stripers, thank you. And, uh, you know, this, this episode is over and I, I'm telling you, I know we're going to have both y'all on again real soon. My pleasure. Hey, thanks a lot guys. Really appreciate all you do. 